Bitch, I'm dead fresh. I might pull up in a casket. Come on, bro. Fruit basket. Spit a couple wraps. I get a check of Johnny Cash. Remember, guys, don't take us too seriously. We're just some bros being dudes talking sports. Presented by the Wolfpack Productions and the presenting sponsor, the Townsend Bar and Grill. Your one-stop shop for great food, great prices, and great times all the time. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the latest edition of Bros Being Dudes Talking Sports. We have a jam-packed show today. I mean, there's just been just an incredible amount of news break over the past couple of days uh, since we've talked to each other. We're obviously going to talk about the NFL playoffs. Wild card weekend was a treat. We're obviously going to talk about the college football playoff wrapping up. We have some breaking news in college football. We have some NHL breaking news. We have a couple breaking stories in the MLB as well. Uh, but let's start us off. I mean, let, let's get this out of the way. We have to talk about the NBA real quick, mainly because – where is Kyrie? Where is this man? What's he doing? They, he has not even contacted the team. They just He's just taking personal days. Dude, I mean, this man just does whatever he wants to. I, I honestly, I could not imagine. I mean, taking a personal day when you work like a regular 9 to 5, like, I get it. It's fine. Like, everyone needs personal days. This man has missed a whole week of Game checks just for not like he's like what are you doing, dude? And not and not told anybody about it. Like not even why they know it's for personal reasons, but like, what what could possibly be the reason you're missing this much time? I don't know. I don't have a clue. Honestly, if you're Steve Nash, what I mean, what's your conversation with Kyrie whenever he does walk back into the building? If you're Steve Nash, what's the conversation with yourself? You're like, why did I take this job? Well, that's a, that's another conversation to be had. I mean, that's I I don't understand because with Kyrie and with KD, they are legit finals contenders. Like they will compete for a championship if those two can yeah, get right, especially in the East. Right. If they can't, I mean, I I this team's garbage. They're five and six right now. I mean, they look terrible without both of these two. I mean, they're just not a good. They don't have really any depth. It was really Kyrie and KD, and they've been without KD for a couple days. Now they've been without Kyrie, or uh, excuse me, a couple weeks. Now they've been without Kyrie for a couple days. I think this is Kyrie saying, like, I'm not playing until until KD's back. <laughs> it has to be, right? I mean, one would think so. Uh, dude, I, th I think the mind of Kyrie Irving is something that we um, can't comprehend, just to be I honest. Yeah. So. I think he, might, he might need psychiatric help, like, like no joke. I think he has like serious issues, and I'm like I'm not trying to like shame anyone. I'm like genuinely concerned for this man. Like he's got problems. Yeah. Uh, well, let him. I guess I don't know. Steve Nash gonna let him work it out on his own. He ain't gonna get in the middle of it, which I don't blame him. Yeah. So. I mean, that's really it for the NBA. Let's let's jump into some bold predictions just for the rest of the year in the NBA. Do you have anything bold that you think is gonna take place? Anything bold. Because yeah, I got one. I, I got a bold take for the for the rest of the season. I'm going to go out and say that the Knicks make the playoffs and Julius Randle is comeback player of the year. This man has had a career resurgence under Tom Thibodeau. I mean, he looks like a completely different player. 
Okay, here we go. <clears throat> I don't know. You may not consider this bold, but I do. If Kyrie and and KD can get back into uh, into form, actually get on the roster, get on the floor, um, the Bucks are the fourth best team in the East. I'm assuming you're saying behind. The year. I'm I'm assuming you're saying behind Philly, Boston, uh, and Brooklyn. By Miami. Miami, really? Boston, and Brooklyn. Dude, you know I've never been big on Philly. Never I, I, yeah, I understand that, but as it sits right now, Philly's 7-4. and four, They look to be a lot better than they were last year, whereas Miami, it looks like that long playoff run is kind of taking an effect on them because they're sitting at 500 right now. They actually did just take over the 8 spot from the Knicks um, just because the Knicks have now lost two in a row, but they've played close games the past two, so like I'm very optimistic about the Knicks. But Miami just has looked like a different team this year. If we, if we want to get any more bold, I mean, we can't say fifth best. I mean, if you want to put Philly in that conversation, I'm not confident I, that. But. Milwaukee, I think, is pretty overrated, so I'll agree. The one thing that kind of hurts them is they – well, now they have the second-best player in the Eastern Conference, so that sucks. So you didn't win it when you had the best player in the Eastern Conference. Now you have the second-best. I'd be hard-pressed to say you're coming out. But, yeah, I think that is a bold take. I would I would tend to agree with you. I would probably put them ahead of Philly still. I'd definitely put them ahead of Miami, but I like, I like the bold prediction for sure. I would say that Milwaukee's about the third-best team in the East right now at, at best, at best they're the third best team. I think yeah. Brooklyn, Brooklyn win at full strength is going to be the best. And then Boston, Boston's scary. I'm telling you, cause they have two guys that look like they can be potential superstars in the league. Not to mention, they still have Kemba Walker. So, I mean, you got three guys that can lead the, the team in scoring on any given night. And defensively, they're among the best teams in the league on the defensive end of the floor. So how's, I think, uh, how's Washington think, doing right now? Not great, and they're not going to do a lot better because Russell Westbrook actually was just sidelined for a couple weeks. Uh, I want to say it's an ankle injury, but, yeah, he's out for a few weeks now. So they're in trouble. They're going to be struggling. They're at 3-8 and eight right now. They're going to fall exponentially off. How about the Raptors? The Raptors are terrible. They look like – I mean, you. if I showed you any of this team's game film, you'd be like, this team has not won a game in decades. Well, they're two years removed from a title. Yeah, with a top three player in the NBA. I mean, Kawhi is probably not top three as it currently sits. As we currently sit right now, he's probably not top three. He's very good. He's probably a top three two-way player, but like just top three player, I don't think he is. Defensively, he's always going to be top three. I mean, that's just not an argument. But he's as it sits right now, there's – I'd say he's – a lock for top five, but I'd be hard pressed to put him top three. Well, he was a top three at the time. If you want to just say, okay, that. yeah, that, that's fair. That, that that's fair. Um, the one we have to talk. I mean, Steph is absolutely just carrying this Golden State team. I mean, he's basically playing. Draymond just now was able to get back on the floor. It's literally been Steph Curry and Kelly Oubre. And really, that's it. Oh, Andrew Wiggins. I mean, dude, Steph is unbelievable. Steph oh, yeah. is phenomenal. He is a top three player in the league. That's not an argument at this point. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's a top three player. I, I don't know. 
He's definitely a, he's definitely a very 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 good player in the league. Like I'm talking like uh, for sure top ten, like inch and top five. I don't think he's a top three player. You want to know something crazy? So the Warriors right now are ranked. I want to say like twentieth in three point percentage. If you take away every single attempt that Kelly Oubre has, the Warriors are the fourth best shooting team in the league. That's insane. Well, and then Kelly you, Oubre has tanked that team shooting percentage to that degree. They would be fourth, Don. Fourth. Well, and two, that just shows you, like, I don't care what anybody says. Steph Curry's the best shooter we've ever seen play in the NBA. I, I don't think it's an argument. It's not an argument. I mean, if, if you really think about it, I mean, if you want to make the argument, who are they going to say? Reggie? I would, uh, I would make Ray the Allen? argument that Reggie and Ray Allen are not even second. I would make the argument Clay Thompson is second of all time. So I don't know, man. I really, I'm like you. I think Steph, I, th- I do. I think Steph's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I think he's the best shooter we've ever seen hit the floor in the NBA. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, Steph is that kind of player to where he can lead the Warriors without other stars on it. He's not the type of player that he can win without the other stars as far as a title himself. like, And there ain't many people that can, man. I mean, See, I, I think that he just needs a big. If he just has a, a good big, like say that they got um, – who's a dominant big right now? Really, Even if they got Embiid, I think that that team becomes just disgustingly scary. Embiid, Draymond, and Steph, I mean, that's as good of a big three as you can really get in the league at this point. Not to mention when they get Clay back, that team would be so scary. If I'm the Warriors, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get someone to solidify the middle of that defense and give someone that I can run pick and rolls with and give me give my shooter spacing. That's the only thing that they need. You know, I've watched... In my lifetime, I made that statement, so I just want to go back and clarify. They're, even the best of the best I've seen can't do it. I mean, it's just almost impossible when you got that caliber talent on the NBA floor. One player is hard to beat five. But I have seen two players do it in my lifetime. I mean, when I say do it, I mean without another actual star on their on their team. And can, do, you, do you know what two players I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name? Dirk and Kawhi. Yeah, and, dude, those were some of the best run. I mean, talk about Nowitzki's run. That was well, very, Well, I mean, very we do have to qualify that Mavericks team because, like, yeah, that team was not, like, incredibly loaded with talent, but they had a good brand of basketball. Like, they had Tyson Chandler in the middle of the defense, the best center in the league that year. He won Defensive Player of the Year. Dirk Nowitzki stretching the floor at four. Chris Bosh could not guard Nowitzki to save his life. Oh, I mean, that's just cannot do it. Then you got J.J. Barea, Jason Kidd, um, Sean Merriman. Like, that, that team had talent. Was it enough to, like, run the heat out of the building? No, but they played good team basketball. And that's, like, that's what the NBA has gone away from. That's why you have to have those superstars. And that's why the Raptors won in, twenty not what, 2019 now? Like, that's why they just played good team basketball any given night Kyle Lowry could put up 20 and Kawhi could put up 25 I mean you have two guys scoring that much volume you're gonna have success in the league not to mention on the defensive end both of those teams were probably top in the league that that year respectively so yeah something to consider I will say, 
I'm very surprised at the Suns. Uh, they've they've started off incredibly hot. I mean, you saw them just dominate the bubble last year, but to start out this year hot. Well, here's the thing: when, when when you added uh, Chris Paul in there, though, like a lot of people made fun of Chris Paul forever, but I mean, he came on uh, he came on strong for the Thunder. Like I'm talking, played out of his mind on the second half of the year last year, and uh, so. To me, it's really not that big of a surprise, especially when you have a star like Devin Booker out there that was doing what he was doing. I guess the surprise that can be made is the way they mesh together, the yeah. way they've played together so far. Well, because it's been everywhere that Chris Paul has been. When he's not been the lead dog, there's been reported chemistry issues. And I think now it's starting to be thrown back into other people's faces like it was your fault. Like even – when he first got there with Blake Griffin, that team should have won a title. Like, that Clippers team should have won a championship with DeAndre, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, um, Lou Will coming off the bench, mm-hmm. Jamal Crawford coming off the bench. Like, that team should have won a championship. But they said that they had chemistry issues. And kind of same thing in Houston. They said that there was chemistry between James Harden and Chris Paul. Well, now you're seeing what happens when he gets around some blossoming stars in DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, they're just ransacking the league. Like, I'm pretty sure that the, the Suns lead the league in scoring right now. Yep, yep. So, and, and, of course, you know, even last year, I loved watching what the Suns did. First off, it still blows my mind that they went undefeated in the bubble, didn't make the playoffs. Why they were even invited, I'll never know. But, um, well, all they needed seeing. was the Blazers to lose one more, and they were in. Yeah. And the Blazers had a one-point victory in the bubble, I think. So they could have made it. Like, there was an outside chance. But the the one, the last team that we need to talk about a little bit is the Nuggets. Like, people came into the year thinking the Nuggets would be a potential, like, to fight for, like, the top seed in the West. Like, they thought they were going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Well, they're 500 right now. And I'm not sure why. Which we're like, back they, on a full 82-game slate, though, right? I don't think they are playing 82 games. If they're playing 82 games only starting at Christmas time, they're going to be playing like five games a week. That's that's not possible. I think it's 62. They cut 20 games off. Mm, okay. Yeah. I think and we're still what they, they played what? Right around 10, 11? Most, most teams have played within 10 to 14 games, yeah. Yeah, so it's still early. I mean, you're looking at a you're looking at probably a fifth of their season. Right now, so most of them, especially some that did make it in the bubble a pretty decent way, are still recovering. Right. And then, and in another way, the teams that weren't there, uh, I mean, questions are how I don't know how the facilities and stuff have been. Like, I don't know if they've actually been able to do their normal routines within all of this going yeah. on. So who knows? I think a fifth of their a fifth of their seasons already gone. I think you give them another ten or twelve games, and I think that's when they they really start rocking. Yeah, I agree for sure. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's talk about some MLB breaking news. Uh, so Kyle Schwarber, uh, left fielder slash first baseman for the Cubs, he agrees to a one-year deal with the Nats. Uh, kind of surprising that the Nats uh, got him, really, because I'm surprised the Cubs let him walk. So the the foundation of that Cubs World Series team from 2016 is is starting to crumble. Theo Epstein now gone, uh, Kyle Schwarber gone. Um, I, I'd be surprised if the Cubs are able to to rebound from this. He was one of their only consistent bats. 
Um, I'll, I'll, we'll see what happens there. Big pickup for the Nats. I mean, he he isn't like he's not a guy that his average is going to jump out at you, but he is able to put the ball in the seats a couple times uh, in, in a week. So so look for him to make an impact. Uh, another breaking story: Tommy Lasorda dies at the age of ninety three. Famously, he did say he would not die until the Dodgers won another World Series. Well, he kept his word. As soon as the Dodgers won a World Series, he dies less than two months later. So uh, I'm glad that he was able to go out on his own terms at peace. Uh, Good for him. I'm happy for him. He's probably going to be rooting him on still uh, from the great beyond. So rest in peace to him. Uh, But he he died at peace, and that's all any of us can really ask for. Uh, Last story in the MLB we really need to touch on. Liam Hendricks agrees to a deal with the Chicago White Sox. Big pickup for them, trying to solidify that that uh, pitching staff. The White Sox are sneakily going to be a World Series contender. They don't get a lot of talk because they're not even the best. They're the most talked about team in their market. But I think they have a lot of young talent. They're going to be able to make some noise uh, this season, especially in a shortened or potentially shortened season. Um, I, I think that they're going to make some noise for sure. So look for the White Sox to be in contention. Uh, now, GTD, I got to get your opinion on this. I mean, we've we've bashed UK for weeks on this show, but we have to give credit where credit is due. And the Cats look a lot better here. <clears throat> They are now on a three-game winning streak. Something has changed in this team. Uh, and, and the one thing that I will say is they are looking more like a team. Um, that comes to the unity uh, in kneeling before that Florida game. And as much backlash as they got, they've done it. They've stuck together through it. The the actual university has supported them doing it. Um, and, you know, Cats fans are probably pissed. Because a lot of them, a lot of more, them lean, more than beast. I'm saying, yeah, a lot of them lean more right wing, which you know, whatever. But I think this is good news for the UK basketball program. I actually, I, I now look for them to kind of make a run at the SEC and get into the tournament. And if they do get into the tournament, which I, I presume that they will at this point. I think they're going to cause some problems for some teams. Yeah, and you know I'm not an avid watcher of of college basketball in general, um, <clears throat> so I don't really. I, I may I think I've watched one or two UK games this year, the Louisville game, and uh, I forget what other what other one. But from what I've seen and from what I've heard, especially from from good buddies that watch them from uh, news outlets, the the guy that Cal eventually brought back into the lineup. Um, can you help me with his last name? Because I'm not sure. The one that they that he pulled and sat for, you know, weeks. Because honestly, at first, I I remember him saying that his that his performance was not that great, and there and there's a reason. But then he reentered him back into the lineup. Um, let me see if I can figure I'm, out. This. I'm slipping the guy. Is it Mints? <clears throat> I don't think it's Mints. Let's see. Let's see. Kentucky basketball. Um, I don't know if it'll let me. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I I know who you're talking about, but I'm not sure who it is. But anyway, he comes back in and has, you know, elevates the team with his performance. I think that's one of the biggest changes here. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm an expert on Kentucky basketball because, like I just told you, I don't I don't watch a lot of it. 
not like other people do at least yeah um so from what i can gather though that 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 would be why i think uh there's been a change and like you said the kneeling part um i think the i think the factors of unity and just the bond inside of the locker room are underrated when when people are talking about sports um being in a locker room before you know as well as i do it means more than what makes the eye to to the fans especially um so I think that might be something that's changing. I think the culture might be yep. changing in that locker room, and then boys might be trusting each other and actually are are bonding to the point to where they want to fight for each other out on that floor. Yep. And that yep. and that means a lot. No, well, the guy that you were talking about is Dante Allen. I mean, he's he's yep. from Kentucky, and a lot of the reason why people think that he cares so much is because he is from Kentucky, and so he grew up like caring about this program and stuff. A lot of these guys don't care about the actual program they care what the program can do for them if that makes any sense and i'm not saying that it's wrong to be selfish because it's like it that's what you should be doing when you're in college is going to the program that can get the best for your future okay that goes for anybody not just athletes like you go to college where you see the the, that institution aiding your growth and development and for your only, future life and not only that job opportunities you go where the job right. opportunities are it's just right. one of the things right and but the thing that that is different for alan is he loves this university and so you saw an instant spark when he hits the floor i mean the kids only averaging seven points a game but he's shooting just under 50 percent, and his defense is unbelievable i mean his hustle plays like he does things that don't show up on a stat sheet uh that i think make a huge difference for this team and and You said it exactly right. It's the culture. Like, the culture is changing on this Kentucky team. I don't want to say that they can win a national championship just yet, but they certainly have the talent to do so. So. And and it's baby steps, man. Especially, and I've said this multiple times, especially when you're talking about college sports, you're dealing with uh, sometimes 17, but mostly 18, 19, 20-year-old sometimes kids and then they're maturing into young adults. I mean, there's a lot of teaching to still be done there. And it's hard on any college coach. uh, I would imagine it's hard on any college coach to, to bring them in from day one and really shape their mind really and and get them to do what they want them to do and get them to see the bigger picture. So um, that that's one thing I think is in transformation right now in that Kentucky locker room. I think there's a lot of young talent that's, that's maturing just a little bit with each game that goes. Oh, for sure. I mean, it is it is important to note that if UK beats Alabama tonight, as you're listening, they play Alabama tonight, that is for first place in the SEC. So as bad as things were, UK is still in position to control their own destiny. So that's something to keep an eye on. And it's also important to note that, I mean, college basketball is so up in the air this year. I mean, there's really only one team that you can say, well, you could really say two teams that have looked just incredible all year, and that's Gonzaga and Baylor. And they're the only two undefeated teams. Well, Michigan's an undefeated team too. But Michigan, I don't think, has the talent to keep up with those two. I think Baylor and Gonzaga are head and shoulders better than any other team in the country. Um, 
you, of course, you have teams like Villanova, who has probably one of the best coaches in the country, and Jay Wright, that's probably going to make some noise. Um, Kansas always has the talent to make noise, even though they just got absolutely mollywopped by Texas a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, it's just so wide open this year. Let, let's give a bold prediction on this, too. Why not? Let's stick on the bold prediction path. Who wins the national championship this year? All right, I'm literally throwing darts in the dark right here. Yeah. Um, I can tell you who ain't gonna win it. <laughs> that's that's gonna be Duke, yeah, for sure, Duke. Um, my goodness, man, this is this is wild. Um, all right, you want a real bold prediction for someone that don't watch a lot of college basketball? I'm just gonna sure. throw this out there, and if it happens. I'm going to call myself the smartest man to ever live. I know who you're going to say. You don't. You're going to say Louisville? Nope. I was going to say North Carolina. That's stupid. That is – that's dumb. <laughs> I don't see that. I, dude, I don't know what I see when I don't see that <laughs> college basketball. That is bold. I'm I'm going to say – I'm going to give you two names that I actually think could win it. Um, outside of Gonzaga and Baylor, who – if you have any brain at all, you're putting a future on them to win it. But two teams outside of them that I could see making a run. I've I've been high on Clemson all year, and I was everyone in our group chat called me an idiot. They're like, "Oh, Clemson's not good at basketball." Duh. Well, they're ranked 12th in the country right now. They've lost one game all season. I think Clemson has a legit title opportunity this year. I'd be surprised if they don't at least make it to the Sweet 16. They play a good form of team basketball. They don't really have any stars that are going to jump out at you. But in college especially, if you don't have that one star, you better be able to play team basketball, and that's exactly what they do. So I look for Clemson to make a run. Uh, And then I also like West Virginia a lot. Now, this is not as good of a team as Bob Huggins has had previously, but – their defense is scary. It's always scary. Their press is disgusting. And if they do play a team like Gonzaga in the tournament, that's the only way that you're going to be able to beat a team like Gonzaga or Iowa uh, is if you press them and you make them make mistakes because they have the dominant player. You got to get the ball in the other guy's hands and force them into turnovers. And that's exactly what West Virginia can do. So those are my two bold predictions to win the title. I see that North Carolina plays your uh, orange today. That's why I said that it was stupid. <laughs> what are they here? Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they are what? Seven and four? Yep. It Clemson, should be a good one. They're supposed to play Clemson on the night. I think I postponed it. got canceled, yeah. Yep. The, there's been a bit of a... a, a um, COVID outbreak in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this game will have big implications moving forward. Syracuse 1-1 one and one in the conference, UNC 2-2, two and two, so neither really played that many conference games. The ACC is going to be just ridiculously tight because these two teams are, what, 8th and ninth in the conference as it stands right now. They're both only a game and a half back because they haven't played any games. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And also, I, I mean, the ACC is just so deep. You got Louisville, Virginia, Duke, Virginia Tech, Clemson. Duke stinks, so I mean, I'll, I'll omit them. But either way, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Louisville, UNC has the talent to make a run. Syracuse with the zone can make a run. 
people thought that the Big Ten was a big conference or the best conference for college basketball, and that has immediately been shut down. Like it's not even close. But anyway, make sure you guys tune in to uh, Nothing But Nylon. That'll be dropping this week. Uh, so that's going to be Wolfpack Productions uh, College Basketball Pick'em Show. We'll go over all the news uh, for college basketball. We'll give you picks, highlights for the week um, to keep you guys updated on all things college basketball. Uh, so now let's talk some college football. Obviously, there was a little bit of a big game last night. The one takeaway is Nick Saban is just the king. There's no other way to put it. He is the king. That is exactly right. I've said this for, hey, it's year, been years now, but, uh, I mean, I've said it for months, even this season. As good as people thought Clemson and Ohio State, and, of course, you had some dummies that thought Notre Dame was good. Um, I think that Nick Saban is just the end-all, be-all of college football coaches. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah, there's absolutely no way around it. I mean, Nick Saban is the best coach in the country. He has been for close to a decade, uh, if not longer. The man just just wins national championships. And as an idiot who said Clemson was the best team all season, uh, I'll put my hand up and say I was wrong. I really think that that Nick Saban is going to, to cause issues for probably another decade. Now, this is his seventh national championship. He has the most of all time. He's the only coach ever to win a national championship in three separate decades. He's won with two separate teams. Uh, So now the conversation needs to move from is he the best coach in college football history to is he just the best coach in all of any team sport history? Because at this point, you got a really, really good conversation about it, like it'd be a winning debate if you're talking about it. I think you have you got Saban. You got Belichick, you have Red Auerbach from the NBA, coach of the Celtics. You probably need to put Rupp in that conversation. Uh, probably Coach K, Bayheim, Self, they're in that conversation as well. Um, outside, I mean, Lombardi probably would be in that conversation. As far as college coaches, maybe Bear Bryant is still has an argument, but not really. It's a losing argument if you're trying to, to argue that Bear Bryant is better. So do you think that Saban is just the best team coach of all time? Yeah, and I'm glad you posed that question because that, it was one I was going to. Um, man, I, he, he's definitely there. Like, I'm saying, and that's a big title to put on somebody, but he's there. Um, I think Bill Belichick is another one. I think Bill Belichick's one. I think Nick Saban's one. Um I think uh, Shusevsky is, is one. I honestly, I honestly think there's a lot of names that you could put on what you want to call your Mount Rushmore of coaches, um, and I think those three names, those three names to me are are three that that the, stand. The out. only argument in college basketball that you really have outside of Coach K is Bayheim, strictly because Coach K has done it. Like he obviously has more championships than Bayheim, but Bayheim has way more wins, okay, and he's done it with way less talent. Like, Beheim's talent pool that he's had is not even close to what um, Coach K has had. So, like, that is an argument to be made. It probably is a losing argument because, really, championships are all that matter, but at least there's an argument. In college football and the NFL, 
there there is none. There Absolutely is, is none. Right. There isn't an argument. Excuse me. Um I really think I think that Saban is probably Saban and Belichick are it's tough to pit one against the other because the thing about the thing about the NFL that I think gives Belichick the edge and best coach of, of a team sport is there's that salary cap. Yeah, like yeah. there is it's, no salary cap in college, and it's just the element of in college. You, I mean, you're basically hey persuading, hey, I win national titles, come play for me. Well, when you get in the NFL, money talks, and there's a lot of factors that go on that go into the NFL as far as attracting players to your market, uh, being able to actually fit their their uh, salary into your into your whole team's structure. Like, I mean, there's just a lot that goes on when you're talking about. Like I alluded to earlier, young men to grown men, there's a different mindset. There's a lot of different uh, things that they think about that can change their minds or their decisions on what they want to do. And another argument to be had there is like in college, recruiting is like the king. Well, Mm -hmm. Nick Saban has only had success. Well, he had some success at Michigan State, enough to get him to LSU. But the two places that he's won national championship, LSU and Alabama. Well, both of those schools recruit for themselves. LSU has had success before Nick Saban and after Saban. Alabama had success before Saban in the 90s and early 2000s, and then obviously they're having more success now, but those places recruit for themselves. So, like, is he the best X's and O's coach? Definitely. But it doesn't hurt that he has he's at institutions that recruit for themselves. Belichick is the Patriots. Before Belichick, they were nothing. They went to two Super Bowls because they got lucky and won, went on miracle runs in the playoffs. Like, they should not have went to the Super Bowl in 85 when they beat the Dolphins. Like, that absolutely should not have happened. And then in 97, with Drew Bledsoe and that defense, like, they, they shouldn't have been in the Super Bowl that year. I mean, they just shouldn't. They went on a miracle run. So, to say that the Patriots' success was anything other than Belichick. I mean, you obviously Brady too, but that's why I would give the edge to Belichick personally. But the fact that it's even a discussion for a college coach to be in that is, I mean, Nick Saban is just the king. Yeah, and I think I give the edge, like you said, to BB, just because I think the NFL is that league. I mean, I really do. You look at college football and you look at it from top to bottom. I know there's so many more schools that's involved and it, it spreads your players out. It makes it a little less, uh, I don't want to say a little less competitive, but whenever everyone's going to the same power, the same five or six schools, the same powerhouses, and you've got 200 and some schools, it, it definitely thins rosters out for other yeah. for other schools. Yeah. Now, when you look at the NFL, you got 32 teams, and you're looking every year, you're getting loads and loads and loads of talent, whether they're drafted or not. There's hidden gems found everywhere. And, I mean, you're talking the best football minds in the world against the best players in the world um, going head-to-head every week. And I think sustained success in a league like that speaks volumes. No, for sure. Uh, the one thing we do need to talk about, I mean, the game last night is is just proof as to why we're having this discussion. Like, there really isn't that much to talk about. We knew that this would be the outcome. And then when Trey Sermon got hurt uh, there in the first quarter, really the first drive of the game for Ohio State, you knew the game was over. Yeah. Like even <clears throat> Alabama was winning fourteen to ten, and Ohio State had that strip sack deep in in Alabama's territory. And Wasn't worried. Every, 
yeah, everyone in the group chat was like, oh, you're a mush. You just said the game was over. I said, no, no. this game is over. Like, Alabama could do whatever they wanted to on offense, and defensively, whenever they wanted to get pressure on fields, they got pressure on fields. Like, that was that's what I expected Clemson to do. I expected Clemson to be able to pressure uh, Ohio or pressure fields like Alabama did. The one difference is Alabama didn't run a lot of two gap stunts. They literally they shot one gap and played stand up football and brought people off the edge. Now they did disguise their coverages, but they weren't getting cutesy with their blitz packages. They ran a couple fire zones. They brought some pressure off the edge, and then they put pressure right in Fields' face a couple times through both a gaps. It's nothing crazy. I mean, that's stuff that I used to run as a JV defensive coordinator. I, that's just basic football. <clears throat> and Ohio State could not could not pick it up. Which I told you earlier in the week, too. Like, I know everyone was like, oh, man, this Alabama defense isn't that great either. I knew from the bottom of my heart Nick Saban wasn't going to let his defense come out and give up tons of points. No. Now, granted, I think I think my score prediction was 31 20. 21 or something like that for this ball game. And I, I was about right on the Ohio State side of things, but now Ohio State definitely let Alabama run the score up a little more than I anticipated. Um, uh, DeMonte is just that man, dude. Hey, that's exactly right. We have to bring – this man played a half, one half of football last night. And Sean Wade, the moron at Ohio State, that said, you know who I want to guard. You didn't want to guard him, apparently. The man said – the all-time receiving record for uh, receptions and yards in a college football championship game. Yeah. He played a half of football. Yeah. Is he the best college player we've ever seen? I think I think the discussion is to be had. At least the best season. At yeah. Least the oh, best yeah. Season. The, definitely the best, the best season. You know another one I, I like to talk about? As good as Devontae Smith's been um, – a lot of questions are swirling around. Is Mac Jones for real? Like, is, can this man is this man for real? Based on what I saw last night, and really for the latter half of the season or the most of the season, anyway, I wouldn't be mad to see Mac Jones in New England. I think I think whatever team scoops him up on the back end of the first round is going to be honestly surprised. I almost would be willing for the Pats to trade Gilmore and get a first from one of these teams that are in playoff contention this year. Okay. So like one of the teams in the playoffs that are just one or two pieces on defense away from thinking they're actually Super Bowl contenders. We trade Gilmore for a late first round pick. Okay. We pick up Mac Jones. And then at 15, we get, or 14, excuse me, we get either Kyle Pitts or Devontae Smith. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I would just be ecstatic. Like, that would be, no matter what we did the rest of the draft, if we drafted nothing but punters, we'd get an A for the draft. And I'll tell you one thing about Mac that I really liked, that I watched, especially last night, is uh, the man is accurate, okay? He puts the ball. I know he's got an A-plus receiving core out there. um, But, I mean, you still got to get the ball to him. Yeah. Uh, And he puts it right where it needs to be. The man... The man's progression, he actually, you can visually see him one, two, three, Naltero check down. Like, it, it, his progression is there. He, he keeps his eyes downfield, even if the pocket yeah. collapses. And he's got legs that's kind of underrated. I say this, I'm not man, this dude's going to break out in a 50 yard tutter or anything with a four, yeah. five speed. But, I mean, he's got legs good enough to, he has to extend plays. capability. 
Right, yeah. he has decent escapability, and that's the best way to look at it. Is, is he going to wow you with his speed and his athleticism? No, probably not. But if things break down, can he make something out of nothing? Yes, we've seen it multiple yeah. times. Yeah. So, like, I'm not really surprised to see him do that at the next level if he does it. So, I, I really like what I've seen from Mac. I'd love to see him in New England, but wherever he goes, I think, the most importantly, he's a winner. Yeah, like, I yeah. think that he's just going to win at the next level because he won a state championship in college. He won a state or a national champion. Or, geez, excuse me. He won a state <laughs> title in high school, won a national championship in college. So, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm forcing him winning in, I, in the NFL. I know a lot of people are going back. Oh, well, listen to yourselves. Like, you're literally saying the same thing people said about A.J. McCarron at one time. And, I mean, rightfully so. We've always prefaced all this with he might be an Alabama quarterback. He might be a little something different than what we're used right. to. Like, But we're just saying as far as the skills, the skill set goes and what we have seen, he's got the potential to actually be successful at the next level. And I truly do believe that. Yeah. Now, we can talk about Devontae Smith all we want. Everyone knows he's that guy. We're, we're basically wasting our breath when we talk about Devontae Smith. I think the real question here is, all right, first off, we could talk about his performance uh, to start, and that's in Justin Fields. Like, what? I mean, what do you think happened last night? Because there's a lot of things that I guess you can kind of – I think he got confused. I, he got confused. One, he could not diagnose a blitz to save his life, and that's not all on him because a lot of times that, that falls on the center as well to help diagnose where the pressure is going to be coming from. But two – he could not read coverage to save his life. Could not read coverage. This man could not tell a difference between cover two, cover three, cover four, man, anything last night. Everything that Alabama was doing was confusing him. Yeah. And a lot you, of, well, I was just going to say, you talked about the Alabama disguising their coverages on the back end. I think that really messed with him a lot. Like, well, I, don't know if, I don't know if he's seen that as much as Alabama well, actually brought it last night. But that's what's crazy is like, even even at the JV level, like I said, like the JV defensive coordinator. So like I'm dealing with kids that have limited football knowledge. They were still able to disguise coverages. Okay, what do you think is going to happen in the NFL, Justin Fields? If you cannot diagnose coverages, even if they're disguised in college, you're not going to be able to do it in the NFL. Now, is Saban one of the greatest defensive minds the world has ever seen? Easily so, yes. Well, there's about a hundred Sabins, X's and O's wise in the NFL. That's what they do. They are yeah. the best of the best for the reason. So last night should give you pause about Justin Fields if you're an NFL GM. Now someone's gonna reach on him because he still put up decent stats strictly because it was a lot of garbage time work. What? Well, that and the fact that he kind of embodies what the NFL is kind of shaping to the new age it's quarterback. Run. Yeah, you have to be able to run the football as a quarterback anymore to to be looked at in that light. Like even even Josh Allen is still more—I don't want to say more of a runner than a thrower, but 
he has the ability to run, yeah. and his legs make him that much more dangerous. I, and, you know, to give Justin Fields a little bit of uh, slack, I do think the injury kind of played a factor in it last night because some of them throws, man, like he made the right read, and the ball was just – I mean, it's just like it was hurting to even push it out there. So, that's fair too. I mean, that's definitely fair. I, and I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I'm just definitely with you on the fact that he looked confused at times, but then again, I think he literally looked to be in very much pain at times. So it's untelling. I'm interested to see what NFL clubs kind of kind of do on this kid because we all know he's talented. Um, we all know he's probably he's a very intelligent dude, but it, it takes a little bit of a different human to to succeed at quarterback in the in the pros. So. Yeah, a couple more topics on college football while we're here. I mean, I don't want to get too long-winded, but now we're kind of transitioning from, like, what college football, what guys, what these guys did in college football to what they will do in the NFL. So we won't really talk about that much on leather weather. Make sure you guys check that out. That'll actually also be a recording tonight, dropping tomorrow morning. Um, we have to talk about Najee and Waddle. I mean, we've, yep. we've talked about Jones. We've talked about Smith, both probably going to be first round picks you have the potential for two more first round picks just on the alabama offense like mm-hmm. do we think that waddle fall he's definitely not going to be top 10 where he was projected in in the start of the season oh. does he still go first round i think so i really think so even last night when he was i mean he's gimping i mean he literally like playing with one leg last night the man could still make plays like oh, he just looked good still Dude, his breakaway speed on on his first catch, that little drag route across the field. First of all, we have to talk about Mac Jones on that play. Because first of all, Mac Jones was getting pressured from both sides, stepped up in the pocket, escaped to the right through the lane, kept his eyes downfield the whole time. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. a play that I was like, wow, Mac Jones is going to be good in the pros. Yeah. And and a lot of, you know, fans will look at that play and be like, oh wow, like he made a little two yard dump pass out to one of the best players on the field at the time. Like, there's a lot that goes into a play like that. Um, just just to have the pocket awareness that, that he had to even get out and give Waddle an opportunity to to have to have that you know yards after catch. Well, there uh, are professional starters that don't make that play. Like there are starters in the NFL that don't make that play. Carson Wentz probably doesn't make that play. Daniel Jones doesn't make that play. I, I mean, I can go on and on. Like that, Tua yeah. definitely doesn't make that play. No. So, like, <laughs> I know, I, and I know you talk about Waddle. Maybe is he gonna fall? What's he gonna do? You know what I'd love? Hmm. I would love for him to fall twenty ones. What I'd love if I see Jalen Waddle taking it twenty one by the Indianapolis Colts, I'm ecstatic because I'm telling you right now that boy right there. I hate that he got hurt and couldn't play the rest of his season out this year and Devontae Smith definitely picked up that slack. There's no question how we feel about that man. Yeah. But I think I think Jalen Waddle's kinda gonna get overlooked a little bit. I think yeah. so too. Well the problem is there's this is one of the deepest wide receiver classes of all time. I mean you have Devontae Smith Heisman winner for a reason. He's going to be a top fifteen pick at worst. Uh, Ross from Clemson is going to be a first-round pick. You got Olave on the other side from Ohio State last night. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a first-round pick. You got Bateman from um, Minnesota, who's going to be probably a fringe first-round, second-round pick. I mean, not even to mention Waddle. So, I mean, you got potential for five receivers in the first round. And it, 
it could be more than that because that's all that's five receivers off the three teams I just named. I mean, this this wide receiver class is disgusting. This this wide receiver class is maybe better than two years ago. As good as last year's was. I mean, and, and, year, so. and, and yeah, and we're still kind of figuring out some of those guys in that, you know, right. when they're they're young, it, it's going to take a little bit of time. But as far as just prospects go, do you think this might be a better prospect class than even last year? As a whole, yes. As a receiver class, it's close. It might not be at that level, but it's definitely close. Now, as a whole, this class is leaps and bounds better than last year's class. Like, I don't think last year's class is all that great outside of a few big names. Now, depth-wise this year, this class is phenomenal. I mean, there's there's future Hall of Famers in this class all over the place, in my opinion. I mean... It's just it's a nasty class. Um, the one the last thing we need to talk about in college football before we move on, um, Alabama is having to replace Steve Sarkeesian, who his play design last night was just immaculate. Yeah, yeah yes, very, very one very. of the best offensive minds in college football. I would argue probably in all of football, pro football included, but definitely at the college level. He moves on to take the head coaching job at Texas. Now the question is there. Who replaces him as Alabama's offensive coordinator? Because Alabama does lose a ton of production on offense. They lose eight offensive starters, three starters on the offensive line, their best quarterback, their two best rushers, and their two best wide receivers. So they are going to be struggling on the offensive side of the football next year. Now I say that, and Alabama always reloads. But it's going to be a lot of new stuff. So who who do you think that they could get to replace You'll know who – I mean, I don't think this is a shot, but I would love to see Doug Peterson come in as the Alabama offensive coordinator. Like, Doug I'm, Peterson's going to get another head coaching job in the NFL, but that would be funny. That would uh, That's just something that I'd love to see. And I don't know why. I think it's just because Peterson and Nick Saban kind of – I don't know. That's a that's a combo I'd like to see together on some, uh, on Saturdays. I mean, I could definitely see that working out. I think that'd be, honestly, maybe a match made in heaven. Um, the two names that I want to throw out that I think actually are, one of these two is going to land there. Tom Herman, okay, goes from head coach at Texas, basically swaps jobs with Steve Sarkeesian. Okay, I think that has a very good likelihood. Tom Herman being the offensive coordinator for Nick Saban would that would be so scary. I mean, that would just be insanely scary. I don't care who his quarterback is; he'll get the most out of him. He made Sam Ellinger look decent at times. Ah, that would be scary. As as a fan of an SEC team, I would hate that. Mm-hmm. Another guy to look for to go there is Gus Malzahn. Now. You're saying, oh, well, he just left from be- or got fired from being the head coach at Auburn. He probably doesn't want to go to the rival school. Not so fast, my friend. I think it would be the perfect scenario for him to go be the offensive coordinator under Saban. Because Gus Malzahn, whatever you want to say about him as a head coach, fine. He definitely had his failures. Gus Malzahn is one of the only coaches in the country to have a winning or a 500 or winning record against Nick Saban. It's him and Dabo Sweeney. And that's it. So I would be shocked if Nick Saban isn't on the phone with him saying, hey, I return 
nine starters on defense next year. I have a revolving door on offense as we speak right now. I need you to come in and give me some stability on the offensive side of the football. Don't turn the football over. Put up a 25 points a game, and we're going to go undefeated next year. Because Alabama's defense, as it sits right now, projected to have, like I said, nine starters back. I mean, and you've, seen the, and you, and you've seen the potential that they can that they can uh, provide that team with even next year. Like last right. night, they just they just showed you, hey, we're only going to get better from here. I'll, Ohio State's offense through I know they only played seven games prior to last night. They averaged forty five points a game. Alabama cut that in half. Well, college football too, man. If you're holding teams. To 24 points in college football, that's like holding them to 14 in the pros. Like you're like you're doing your job. And Alabama's defense really was was not that great this year. Like they were okay. They showed glimpses and and some potential at times. Last night being like the best example of that. But they returned so much. Now you do lose Sertain for sure at corner, so you you you're gonna be trying to replace him. He'll probably be a top ten pick. But still, I mean, they're going to be that, – that's so scary to think about if they can get anyone of, of big relevancy like that. But, all right, let's move on. Um, that was honestly good college football talk. Make sure you guys check out Leather Weather, our, our uh, college football pick show. We'll go over all of the college football playoff. We'll give you breakdowns on that. We'll give you a Heisman reaction. Um, we'll give you projected uh, draft order for, for the NFL, who we think is coming off the board uh, in the top 10. Uh, so make sure you check that out. And we'll give out our way too early top 25 for next year because college football doesn't sleep. We're already looking at that. And we're looking at recruiting. But anyway, let's touch on some NHL real quick. This is going to be real quick. I'm going to give you my division winners. Uh, I'll give you my playoff pool. Uh, I'll give you my Stanley Cup winner. And then my Conn Smythe trophy winner for whoever wins the cup. So let's get into it. So now... For those of you who don't pay attention to hockey, divisions have been realigned this year for this special shortened season. Okay, so now you have four divisions. You have the East, the West, the North, which is all of the Canadian teams are in the North Division, and then you have the Central Division. Uh, my my, basically, you have four teams from each division making the playoffs. So I'm going to go division by division. I will give you all of my cup or my my playoff. Uh, contenders from those divisions, and then I'll tell you who wins uh, and plays who, okay? So in the East, I have Washington, Philly, the Rangers, and Boston making the playoffs of the East. Um, I have Pittsburgh missing the playoffs strictly because Murray's gone now in goal. I don't like what they're doing. That that team is getting a little bit older now. Uh, that's my one surprise in the East that I think that they miss. I think that they miss the playoffs. Uh, in the West, I'm going to go the Avalanche, the Knights, the Blues, and the Coyotes. Now, the Coyotes are probably my surprise team there. They lost uh, Taylor Halsey. That's a big loss. They have to make up for that. But I love what this team has done. Um, they actually just brought back Shane Doner to be uh, head of player operations. I think he's going to make a huge difference for them. I really like this Coyotes team. I think that they can surprise some people and get into the cup, uh, get into the cup playoffs. Excuse me. Uh, I, I just think the Avs are going to be way too much. Uh, they'll they'll end up winning that division uh, in the North. I love Calgary. I love Edmonton, and Toronto is obviously going to make the playoffs in the North. My surprise team 
is going to be the Ottawa Senators. Now, they're coming off a couple really bad years, but this youth movement is going to start taking over. I love Ottawa to surprise people and make the playoffs. I mean, they signed Matt Murray uh, to be their, their keeper this year. They got Brady Kachuk, who's one of the best young faces in the league. I think he's going to absolutely dominate this year. He's probably going to be in conversation for the Hart Memorial Trophy, which is MVP of the league. Uh, and then I also love Galchenyuk uh, in the center of that roster. Like he's he's one of the best centermen in the league. I, I just, I, for some reason, I have a gut feeling that Ottawa is going to surprise some teams and make the playoffs, especially because the North is one of the weaker divisions. Like, yeah, you had Vancouver make the playoffs last year. I think they regressed to the means. Um, I, I don't like Winnipeg, especially since Patrick Laine wants out reportedly. So, yeah, I think those those four are definitely going to be the ones. Edmonton with, with Dreisaitl and McDavid are a lock to make the playoffs. Toronto's a lock to make the playoffs. Uh, Calgary, I'd be surprised with Kachuk and Johnny Ham and Cheese if they don't make the playoffs. So uh, those are my four from the north. And then the central, not really anything too bold here. I got Tampa, Dallas, Carolina, and then Columbus being my four playoff teams. Really the only team that I have that's a surprise not making it uh, is Nashville. I think that they're just getting really old. They didn't really make any moves to get younger. They don't have anyone that's going to just jump out at you as far as goal scoring goes. So I, I think that they miss. I think it'll be close between them and Columbus, but give give me Columbus to to take the edge there strictly because Torts gets the most out of less every single year. He he basically is the Tom Thibodeau of the NHL. Like he takes a roster that shouldn't be anything and maximizes their production. So give me give me the Blue Jackets to make it over the Preds. Um, so now how that would work is you have the winner of each of those divisions going on and playing uh, in the next round. So the first two rounds of the playoffs are going to be interdivisional. Uh, and then after that, you'll have the division winner. So then after the division winners come out, they'll reseed the number one being whoever had the most points and four having the least points, right? So one will play four, two play three, so on. So it may not necessarily be an East versus West Cup this year which is going to look very different. So I have Philly as the one seed playing Tampa as the four seed. Then I have Calgary playing Colorado as the two, three matchup. So it does work out that we'll get an East West cup in, in my prediction, but uh, I think it's going to be different. I actually love Philly to beat Tampa in that matchup. Uh, Carter Hart is disgusting. Uh, I love Kevin Hazy. Obviously, he was he was with the Rangers for a long time. I think that they dominate the league this year. They easily lock up the one seed. Uh, I, I think that they're going to be just really, really scary uh, moving forward. Carter Hart is probably going to win um, a lot of, of awards this year. I mean, he's just disgusting. He'll backpack that team just as much as Hazy. I mean, not even to to bring up like the rest of of Philly's roster like the Flyers are just absolutely gross uh they'll they'll win the president's trophy this year for sure they'll make it to the cup final and they will play the Avalanche I think the Avalanche are going to be as I said they'd be the second seed they're going to be the the second scariest team because they have Nathan McKinnon 
Like Nathan McKinnon is a top three player in the league at this point. It's inarguable. Um, and I think that he carries the Avs to a Stanley Cup uh, title. I think that the Avs win the Cup this year. Uh, McKinnon wins the Con Smythe. He cements himself as one of the best players uh, to play currently. I'd love to make the case for the Rangers to win it. I just I think we're we're a year or two away. But uh, so that's that's my NHL prediction. We'll give you guys all kinds of breakdowns on that as the season progresses. We'll see if I was right, if I was wrong. Probably going to be wrong because hockey has the most parity of any other sport by a mile. So you never really know who can do what, who's going to get hot when. Um, so yeah, we'll keep you guys updated on that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are not diehard hockey fans anyway. So I'll give you guys all the information you need to at least be able to have a conversation at the water cooler, make your coworkers think you're like a big puck guy. So with that, let's move on to something that everyone can talk about. GTD, you can unmute your mic. Let's ride, baby. We got some NFL breaking news to talk about. And obviously we're going to talk about the wild card weekend, but there is so much that we need to discuss. First of all, Doug Peterson got the boot in Philly. He is out. He is out of here. Can you believe that he was tossed? I don't know. I don't know. The question was stirring, you know, a week or two ago. And in my mind, I didn't think. I thought he was safe. I thought he was going to be safe. Um, turns out I was completely wrong. That's why I don't, they don't pay me to think. Yeah. I, I'm really surprised that they fired him. I, I, it has to have something to do with the fact that he pulled Hertz in that last game because everything that I've been reading says that he lost the locker room with that decision, which is not surprising. No, I mean, no, you basically just, you basically just tanked the game for no reason mm-hmm. and you let probably your biggest rival get into the playoffs because you just decided to pull your future franchise QB. Um, the one thing that needs to be said from that now is they go from basically guaranteeing Hertz as the starter moving forward. Well, now it's come out that Roseman and Lori, uh, the Eagles GM and owner have basically said that Wentz is not necessarily gone, that there's going to be a QB battle. So, I think that's insane. The team just looked completely different under Jalen Hurts than it did under Wentz. Like, if you go back to Wentz, you might as well just say that you're trying to tank and you, you want to rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I, the situation itself sticky. Um, I think the only reason that Wentz isn't out of the building, no matter who's there, is because of that contract. I think they're trying to make the best of a bad situation. And uh, I think they're just hoping that Wentz was, I don't know, that something out of the ordinary was just wrong with him. Yep. So who knows? Who knows? That's definitely a possibility. Um, one, A couple more breaking stories we got to touch on. So Bill Belichick won't accept the Presidential Freedom Medal. Um, he said this is in lieu of everything that's happened the past couple weeks. In case you've had your head in the sand and you've not been paying attention, this comes in response to the Capitol storming. That took place a couple weeks ago. I honestly like. I like the move strictly because, like, if he did accept this, players would take notice. And with everything that they've done, as far as like social justice and everything this off season, uh, and even this season, uh, coming together as a locker room, like 
the Patriots have been probably the most active organization in fighting this stuff. Like Robert Kraft is very vocal about criminal justice reform. He he does all kinds of rallies and and donates all kinds of money to it. If Belichick would have accepted this, it, that all of that would have been for nothing. So I respect him turning this down. Whether you agree with it or not, you can't argue that it was the right move. Strictly because if you take it, your odds of getting any big name free agents go like down exponentially. Well, I'm like you. I think the move was definitely right. You know, we alluded to earlier about the culture in the locker room being undervalued by fans. And I think this is just one of the firsthand examples of that. Uh, BB is the leader of that team. He literally, these guys that play for him, they look up to, to him. Uh, they see what his actions are and they replicate that. And that's right. exactly what Bill Belichick wants him to do. So by Bill actually denying this, uh, this, uh, medal, I think that really sends a message to that locker room of, Hey, that is not on my agenda of what my job actually is. And I'm focused on my job and my job alone. And I think that sends a strong message to those players. Like, Hey, get your ass ready for next year. Cause, cause yeah. that's what I'm focused on too. Absolutely, I agree. I, I love the move. Um, so now transitioning from my team to your team, uh, Costanza retired today. Obviously, that leaves a big hole on the left side of this Colts offensive line. Uh, not really too surprising. He was getting old, older anyway. Uh, the, I think the injury at the end of this season kind of solidified his future. We kind of knew that this was coming, um, so definitely not blindsided by it at all. Uh, now this makes the Colts question, do they sign someone in free agency? Do they move Quentin Nelson to left? tackle for next year or do they draft somebody because at 21 in this class you do have the potential to still get a very very good offensive lineman so uh i'll, I'll leave that question to you yeah i think uh with the colts financial situation right now and right now it's a very good looking situation but you have players of uh darius leonard's caliber and, and some others on this team that's going to need re-signed at some point so i honestly think Reserving as much cap space as you possibly can right now would be the better move. And of course, you want to you want someone who's going to be there for the long haul and not, and not have to pay millions for a potential bust uh, in free agency. Yep. Um, I think the draft's the answer to the left tackle position. Uh, the same way, now the quarterback position, it, it's up in the air. You can go two or three different ways with it. Uh, I don't really want to get into that right now because I think uh, moves going into the offseason are going to dictate what they actually should do um, yep. at that position. But, yeah, we, we knew. I even mentioned to you all uh, this weekend that Anthony Costanzo was contemplating retiring last year, decided to give it another uh, go, signed his two-year contract. And actually, from you know from everything I can gather, was fully prepared to play two more years until – of course, you have the ankle surgery at the end of this year, and I think that was the end-all, be-all um, with that decision. I think that ultimately made his decision for him. And and what sucks is that he was only 32. So, I mean, yeah. 32 for a left tackle. Like, yeah, he's getting up there in age for a football player themselves, but at the position you're looking at, they played till 36, 37 years old. Yeah. So, he definitely had a few more years. I would say that he definitely retired at 
maybe the end of his like prime, if you will. Yeah. But he still had a few more years where he could have been a top ten tackle. I mean, yeah. that's that's very realistic. And I seen something this morning on it that that honestly you don't really think about till someone else says it. And they said eighteen months ago, if I'd have told you that um, in eighteen months that Andrew Luck, uh, Anthony Costanzo. Adam Vinatieri, and possibly T.Y. Hilton would not be playing for the Indianapolis Colts, would you believe me? And, uh, you know, everyone knew Adam Vinatieri probably wouldn't be, but the other three, you're thinking, oh, they're for sure going to be there. Right? They're the they're the foundation of this team, and now you're looking at possibly all three of them being gone depending on the decision they make of T.Y. Hilton. Well, if you would have told, if I would have told you that eighteen months ago, you would have been like, "What has gone on?" Like we are absolutely been, terrible. And this is going to sound dark, but I'd have been like, "A Marshall plane crash had to take place for this." For this, <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, think about it. Some <laughs> disastrous thing. I would have thought I had to take all three of them out of this world if you had told we need me. That. To, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a meme out later. It's like me wiping off the zero days until. Uh, or from our last We Are Marshall joke. I think we've went like two shows without making one. Right back to it. So now our count goes back down to zero. So thoughts and prayers. Some more Colts breaking news. Veldeer is now signing with the Packers. I mean, he's going to be the first person to start a playoff game for two separate teams. Kind of crazy. I honestly didn't think that this was allowed, but it's pretty interesting to see. Um I think that this makes the Packers a little bit scarier. They're going to solidify that offensive line with Bakhtiari being out for the remainder of the season. Uh, I think that's huge for them. I, I think this this makes them a little bit scarier moving forward. Tough test coming into town with Aaron Donald. I don't care that this game's at Lambeau, truthfully. I mean, this game is going to come down to that Packers offensive line against the Rams defensive line, and that's it. That is That is where the matchup will be won. Like, we know the Rams offense is sketchy. We know the Packers' defense has glimpse of like being good, but this game will be decided on if the Packers yeah. can put up 24 points. The Packers hit yeah, 24 yeah. points, the game is and, over. And you hit the nail on the head, I think, because the Rams just can't score. I mean, I mean, they can't score with the Packers, of course, but in in general, they have trouble offensively. And uh, no one around the NFL, especially just fans of the NFL, would have ever thought you uh the statement Sean McVay's offense cannot score would come out of their mouth after seeing his first year. Yeah, but we'll we'll save our breakdown for that game uh coming up. I just want to touch on Valdir. We do have some breaking news literally right now, like just came across my phone. Ian Rappaport tweeted the Texans have officially requested an interview with Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Now this may smooth over some some hostilities with Deshaun, which we were about to talk about anyway, so this is going to be a perfect segue. Does Deshaun get traded? Because there's rumors now that he's going to hold out if he doesn't get what he wants as far as who the head coach is there. And to be honest, I don't blame him. Deshaun is a top three quarterback in this league. No argument, no ifs, ands, or buts. He absolutely deserves to have his input taken into effect. Like, he deserves to have say in who's going to be coaching him because that's his team. That team will go as far as Deshaun takes them. And he just had a coach that basically tanked his whole career in Bill O'Brien because the Texans, you saw at the end of the year where they were starting to get frisky, that team should have been in the playoffs. That team should have been competing for a division title. 
You can't have a top three quarterback and not do that. Well, and that's what happens when you trade your your really your best player for a bag of Skittles. So I don't blame him for being upset. I, I'd be upset too. Yeah, definitely don't blame him here. Um, it's one of them things, man. I don't know if he'll be traded or not. My heart tells me no. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, if you have a player really, truly going to hold out on you and, I mean, you don't want you don't want money being wasted or and you also don't want to, like, not take uh, picks back in return uh, if that's really and truly what's going to happen. So, I mean, I think Deshaun is going to dictate this situation for the most part. Um, but I think there's that little slim chance that the Texans are just like, all right, buddy, sit at the house. We're not letting you go anywhere. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think that his contract year would be voided if he did sit out. So it's not like they'd be wasting money. He just wouldn't get paid, and then his contract would come back into effect when he does show up. I, I'm pretty sure that's the wording that they included. But either way, now this leads to discussion of who is going to get what jobs. Now there's eight head coaching vacancies in the NFL right now. Really, the the two most lucrative right now, well, three. I would say there are three that are head and shoulders better than any other job. Okay, you got the Chargers, the Texans, and the Jags. And whatever order you want to put those in, those three are the most lucrative. So the Houston, strictly for Deshaun. If you can get there and keep Deshaun happy, that job is wonderful. The Chargers, I mean, that 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 team, as it sits right now, is set up to compete for the next decade at least because they have a young defensive core. They have a young offensive core with a couple veterans that are future potential future Hall of Famers, and uh, uh, your quarterback. I mean, Justin Herbert is filthy. I mean, you're number one on the Justin Herbert bandwagon, so, I mean, you'd agree with that. And then the Jags have the most cap space. They're going to have Trevor Lawrence. You have uh, owner and GM that aren't too intrusive on what you want to do, and your division is filled with teams that are just getting older. So – no, not to mention you got, as it sits right now, at least all pro, maybe potential future Hall of Famer Miles Jack as the cornerstone of that defense. So, personally, I think the, the Chargers is the best job, but it'd be hard pressed to say that that Jags job isn't isn't enticing. Oh, oh yeah, and it's all because of that number one pick. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to be took number one, and out of all the hype he's had as a prospect. Um, it, it would be a coach's dream to get to work with him at the professional level, yep. um, along with all that cat space they have. Now, me, I think a job, and I mean, you can call me crazy, but I think the Jets' job is honestly more uh, lucrative than than meet, what meets the eye. Um, you know, you're coming in with the number two pick and a lot of cat space there. I mean, it's going to take some years. Like, you're going to have to have, be on the same page as a GM here and really having the roster built how you want it built. Um, so it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think this year gives you the opportunity. If you want one of them quarterbacks, if you truly see one of them quarterbacks is your quarterback, uh, that's a conversation you and the GM can have. Uh, you can lock him up. You can use that cap space to rebuild this roster, um, along with the picks that you will have, uh, coming in, whether it be comp picks or, or if you trade off some of your assets to rebuild. Um, I think that's one of the jobs that, that, Maybe a little more promising than than what some people think. Now, me personally, I think the worst job is the lines. Like the lines, I think might be the worst job you can take. Yeah, I I'd have to agree. 
the only way that it's not, I mean, they do have a lot of young talent on that team. Don't get me wrong, but you have kind of an intrusive GM. Your, your owner is not really known for letting you do a whole lot financially. So you're not going to be able to sign any big names and you're against the cap right now as it currently sits anyway. So yeah, the Lions would be definitely one of the, the Eagles' job is the same way. Like, I would not want to coach for Howie Roseman. I just wouldn't want to do it. Like, that would be horrible. They caught lightning in a bottle and won their Super Bowl. And then outside of that, the Eagles are a bottom five franchise ever. So why would anyone want to take that job? I have no idea. And along now, with, honestly, I, th- I think they let the fans pressure them more than than any other team oh. do. Yeah, not to mention the Eagles fans are the worst. Oh, Eagles fans are pathetic. I would hate, I would hate to be uh, a coach or a player in Philly. And you have some moron named Lane Johnson. I can't stand that moron. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have fun in Philly. Huh? Are you having fun now, Lane Johnson, you stupid idiot? I, what a, what a, oh, he drives my, he grinds my gears. Um, all right, let's let's make some projections. Let's let's see who we think takes what jobs. So let's start. Let's go in. Uh, we'll, we'll just start off with Jacksonville. Who do you think ends up in Jacksonville? Man, I wonder. I, I'm really sitting here and I'm curious if the Urban Meyer like thing is really a thing. Um, I'd say it probably has some credibility. And I'm going to say it has to. And and I'm going to take him. I'm going to take that to be who lands my Jacksonville job. Okay, how about New York? Mm, I think Say Lee actually ends up in New York. Sala? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I like it. I like Say Lee. Say Lee is good, but it's like Sarah Lee lunch meat. Mm. Yeah, I I like Salah to take that job. Now, it sucks because I think that the Jets are at best competing for third in that division for the foreseeable future just because the AFC East is quickly turning from maybe the worst division for the past decade. It might be the best decade or the best decade, the best division for the next decade. And I'm not sure if there's an argument to be made for well, anyone else. And at, at the same time, though, we got to think, too, they just came off of Todd Bowe's tenure where they had a defensive uh, mind in place. Now they have that pick I was talking about. I think they're going to go offensively. They may turn around and say, hey, we need an offensive mind in charge here. And they may bring in the enemy. The enemy might actually be a finalist I for this job. Have, I have no – if I'm the enemy, I have no interest in taking that Jets job. At least on the defensive side of the football in New York, they have some talent. No chance am I going to New York and just – because then the conversation would be turned from the enemy is an offensive mastermind to it would be changed to the enemy was carried by Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. So – I think that would be absolutely career suicide for him, for lack of a better term. So I, I see Sala going to New York um, strictly because he's now had two interviews with them. I think that he's going to run away with that job. He'll be there probably by the end of this week. Yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Yeah. Um, all right. How about Atlanta? Who do you think takes that Atlanta head coaching vacancy? Oh, man. Uh. This one is a difficult one. Um, I don't know of anybody off the top of my head that that I think is interested 
honestly. Uh, There's not been many rumors come out about this one, honestly. I thought that Steve Sarkeesian would be a front runner for it before he took that uh, that Texas job, but I don't know. This is definitely one that I've been stumped by as well. Yeah, I, don't, and I don't know who wants it. Even right now, I'm sitting here thinking, like, who in the world could possibly take it? Um, I kind of think a name to look out for in this job is Jason Garrett. A coach with a ton of experience, an offensive-minded coach come in, maybe rejuvenate Matt Ryan's career for the last couple years. You have all that offensive talent. Resign Gurley. Your running game's going to be fine. Defensively, they'll need some work. I think Jason Garrett makes a lot of sense for this job, just to be honest with you. I would not be surprised to see Atlanta take a shot on him uh, and give him some redemption. It, it might, I might be wrong. I thought I could have swore I seen where it may have been Atlanta, I think. Requested an interview with Todd Bowles today. That wouldn't uh, surprise me either. That would be now you said it for the Jets going from a defensive guy to an offensive guy. That's why I think the Falcons make sense for Garrett though, because they just got out of Quinn and their defense was freaking terrible. So yeah. I don't have any I have no inclination telling me that they're gonna go defensive guy again. I think it's almost a guarantee that they go on the offensive side of the football for their head yeah. coach. Yeah. Um, we'll only do a couple more cause there's, there's eight of them. So we'll skip Philly cause that basically has been maybe not confirmed, but it's been hinted at very strongly that Adam Gase is going to take over as that next head coach, which, <laughs> which is, is wild. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. Adam Gase shouldn't get another coaching job, uh, even assistant coaching job yeah. in the NFL. Dude. Well, actually, I think he would make a lot of sense for that Alabama offensive coordinator job now that I think about it. That's interesting. But um, Peyton Manning has basically gifted Adam Gase a 20-year coaching career. That's in, that's wild. He's been dubbed the coach or the quarterback whisperer because he coached Peyton Manning. I could have coached Peyton Manning, and Peyton would have been Peyton. Yeah. Like, that's insane. But all right. So now the Texans. Who do you think takes that Texans job? Uh, if the enemy doesn't end up in in New York, I think he will end up here. I think it just makes way too much sense. Way uh, too much sense. See, I'm going to disagree. I think the enemy makes too much sense for the last job that I want to talk about, and that's the Chargers. I think if the Chargers give that head coaching job to anyone outside of an offensive mind, they are stupid. Because see, I kind of, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of can see how they would go defensive. Well, their defense is going to be gross. They have a ton of talent. I mean, they got Derwin James, they got Melvin Ingram, uh, Joey Bosa. That that defense is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but with the offensive talent that you would have in a quarterback that's going to be there for probably the next decade at least, you have Keenan Allen. He's on his way out probably in the next five to 10 years. I mean, sneakily, he's only what 27. So he still has some good football left in him. You got, uh, Eckler, who seems to be a top fringe, top 10 ish running back in the league. Your offensive line is pretty dang on good. So I think, I think the just makes too much sense. If they get the and the is as good as we think he is, I think they become instant contenders. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. I well, we've seen what that offense could do this year. And Shane, I think he, I think you pronounce his last name Stocking. Steve Shane Stocking, I think is uh the how you pronounce his last Their name. Offensive coordinator this year. Yeah, um, and and you've seen what 
that offense could do, especially with a rookie quarterback. I think that offense is honestly pretty like taken care of. So um, you're saying go the opposite way that I, I am. I, I I think you have enough talent, and I think you have enough coaching on the coordinator side to where it's pretty safe. Um, I think we saw the Chargers give up so many leads in the fourth quarter this year that that, that de- yeah that that defense has to be solidified, honestly, and. This is one I hope doesn't happen, but I could very much see it happen. Is Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus? I could see him taking that job uh, if it's offered. Now he has the interview with him today. Um, I think it makes sense. Now either way they want to go with it, I think makes sense. But if I'm ownership, I'm kind of seeing how this year played out, and we had enough points to really beat a lot of teams, but our defense was so shaky that. They gave it up a lot of the time. So it, it, it could go one way or the other, but I'm playing a little devil's advocate. I could definitely see a, defense, a defensive mind. Well, you've convinced me, and now based on your argument, that makes me think they're going to lean towards Sala because you're taking one of the best defensive minds uh, in the league and pairing him with one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. I think that makes a ton of sense. Like, you have absolutely convinced me. I am changing my pick for that job to to Salah. Like, I think that would make just too much sense. But that was a good discussion on on some upcoming uh, NFL topics. Let's get into some topics from this weekend. I mean, we have to break down this wild card weekend. What a what a beautiful slate of games. <laughs> There's a bunch of surprises. Uh, one game sticks out that really one team is kicking themselves because they should have won this weekend. And they lost. So we'll obviously keep you guys updated on all the coaching vacancies uh, and free agency as we move into the off season. But this season is still taking place. So the first game we have to talk about is the first game of the weekend, the Colts and the Bills. I mean, the Colts left at a minimum of six points on the board, a missed field goal, and then an opportunity to kick another field goal. And they went for it and didn't get it. Now, hindsight's 2020. You're always going to say that it was a mistake if it didn't work out. I honestly think that it was the right call to go for it. But that missed field goal at least cost them a chance at overtime. So, Mm -hmm. GTD, you're the Colts fan. I'm sure you want to rant a little bit. How are you feeling after this well, weekend, brother? There's, I mean, there's really nothing I can rant about. Like you said, the decision at the end of the half, and, and we were sitting there discussing it in real time. We was on the one-yard line. I was all about going for it on fourth. Yeah. We take the three-yard loss on the pitch out to have it on the four-yard line, fourth and go. I told you right then there. I don't think there's a wrong decision here. But me personally, on the four-yard line, I'm taking the three points. I think this game's going to be that close to where I want my three whenever I can get it. Um, that that there's two there, and I think that's that's one. Now, like I said, that could go either way. You can't really blame placing blame for that. It's just hey, it didn't work out the way you the way you wanted it to. The only thing I think you can really come out of this game and really be like, damn, this is where we messed up was. Frank Reich challenging the fumble when it was clearly not a fumble. I think that's clearly. The, I think that's the one thing that Frank Reich is sitting at the house right now saying, "Wow!" And then if I would not have challenged that, we would have had another timeout when we were on the what forty-five hour forty-five going in, and we could have opened up our whole arsenal. 
opened up the whole playbook, ran whatever we wanted to to get another 10 yards and yeah. used the timeout then and yeah. actually had a chance to get OT. I mean, with how the Bills are playing defense there at the end of the game, they were literally taking away the sideline, which is fine. That's what you need to do in that scenario. If the Colts had a timeout, you run a draw with Taylor, who averaged, like, what, six and a half yards a carry against the Bills that day? Mm-hmm. I mean, your whole playbook is open. You run a draw, and they're away from the middle of the field. They're all on the sideline like they were. You're thinking at least you get 10 yards there, and that's a free 10 yards, and you give Hot Rod, who led the league in scoring, another chance to to send the game to overtime. So. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, honestly, yeah, that, that, that definitely bit them. The one thing that I mean, and I hate it for Hot Rod too, because you can always look back and be like, "Oh, well, that missed field goal," and that is while that is true. At the same time, I mean, there's a lot of other factors that played into that game that that kind of forced the outcome the way it did. Um, I feel, I kind of feel bad for Hot Rod. I hope he, I really hope he don't have his head down because of that one missed field goal because he played so well all year. I honestly think he was. Um, Possibly our – he may have been our third-best rookie out of the whole uh, class, and that's not even us drafting him. So uh, he was that beneficial for us in a year to where we had to let Adam Minnesota go. No, for sure. Um, let's move on. I mean, this one, that game, while it, it should have probably ended in a Colts victory, obviously the Bills won, uh, that that wasn't really that surprising. I think the country picked the Bills to win like 75% to 25%, so not really that surprising that the higher seed won. Bills probably second-best team in the AFC right now, so you kind of figured that's how that game would go. Good on the Colts for keeping it close. It was a great game. Um, but this game, the surprise of the weekend, for sure. The Rams... Without golf, well, what should have been without golf, uh, knock off the Seahawks. Now, golf did end up coming in because LinkedIn guy got absolutely crushed in the first quarter. And then golf came in, and after we get done trashing him, like literally in real time, we were talking about how bad golf was. Then he just pulls his PP out, puts it on the table. He's like, "Yo, I'm pretty good." He, I mean, this this Rams team is scary. I said last night in my group chat with my my high school friends, I I said that I think the Rams win the NFC right now as it sits. I think they have the best defense by far remaining, uh, and that that showed. Like they absolutely shut down Russell Wilson. Like Russ still had a couple plays, but they made him into they, like they forced him into a lot of mistakes. I uh, I'm impressed by this Rams team. I was impressed Saturday, um, and conversely. The Seahawks need to figure out what's going on with the running game. Their running game has to be figured out because they couldn't run the ball to save their lives against the Rams, and that's honestly the reason why they lost. Yeah, and we mentioned this before. Me and you both said right before the playoffs started on last week's preview that the Seahawks just don't scare you. Like They didn't scare me. I don't think they scared anybody else. As good as they are and as good as Russell Wilson is, Russell Wilson cannot be your answer to every living thing football related like it just cannot be so i think we've seen those weaknesses that we alluded to come to life uh over this past weekend and we also talked about how good that rams defense was and they showed you right then and there now i alluded earlier to uh this sean mcbay offense having to score points and jared goff maybe not being able to do it he did play with this weekend but I, i i'm not buying one week he's so shaky we've seen it all year um, 
We'll see what happens. I think the Rams definitely have a chance. I think it all falls on the shoulders of Jared Goff. Yeah, no, I, I agree for sure. Um, another surprise game that really was a lot closer than a lot of people thought. The Bucks got all they could handle from Henneke and this uh, Washington football team. You knew the defense was going to come to play. You didn't expect this amount of points from their offense. I mean, they put up 23 points with a quarterback that a couple week, uh, couple months ago was a starter for an XFL team. So good on the good on the football team to make this a close game. But is anyone really surprised that the Bucks won this one? No, no, probably not. Um, really good game though. Um, do you like what you see from the football team moving forward? I mean, big, I, a lot of question marks, but I do. I very much like what I see actually, and uh, even this weekend with what you you know what you said, Taylor Heineke was a XFL starter. Um, man, if you if you're playing the Bucks that close in the postseason um, with Heineke quarterback, that just lets me know honestly, you might not be as far away as you think you are. Uh, you might need a couple pieces here and there, and then you're actually really competing. And I, when I say really competing, I'm talking about winning a playoff game or two, or maybe even more, depending on what happens in the next year or two. So Yeah, for sure. Um, this Titans-Ravens game, is this has turned into one of the best rivalries in the league. These teams hate each other. Hate each other. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as one of your rivals in the AFC South, I'm sure you were just broken up to see the Titans lose in this fashion. Oh, yeah. I, I cried all night about it. I figured. Um, when they needed a score, he basically... Or ...strictly because he can turn it on at any time. And he, he did. He backpacked this team to a win. And that defense, the Ravens' defense is probably the best defense remaining in the AFC, if I was to to, to say that confidently. Like, I think that they have they have all the tools to make a run. Like, it's, yeah. that's scary because Harbaugh is an underrated coach. Like, I think he might be, outside of Reed, he, he's probably the best head coach remaining in the AFC. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of the things, and, and experience goes a long way, and that's one thing right. he does have. So, Yeah, yeah, I think that he's scary. But, I mean, I, I said all year that the Titans were fake good, and, like, Derrick Henry got absolutely shut down. Tannehill couldn't do anything now that the running game was taken away. So, like, do they need a quarterback? Is that still up for discussion in, in Nashville, or do you think they're going to stick with, uh, with Tannehill? Um. I think they're going to stick, and I think they should. I really do. I think uh, they they just need to figure out some some ways to put their offense in situations to be successful. Um, I think they have the talent. I think Ryan Tannehill is honestly good enough, and of course Derrick Henry's there. Like you want to make Derrick Henry the focal point, like he has been, but you don't want to make him the whole offense. Um, it's just one of them things that you can't do. And if you're the Titans, you also can't hang your hat on this Titans defense from two years ago. Uh, it's not the same defense it was. Um, you better, you better figure out some other defense side of the ball, because I can tell you one thing, um, that they are not what, what they used to be. No, that's a fact. That is a fact. Um, this, this next game, honestly, was a little bit surprising. And I, I think that the Bears got hosed a couple times by the refs. Like, this game was the most poorly officiated game I watched all weekend. And mm-hmm. it's a by, by a long shot. 
Not to mention the fact that it was on Nickelodeon, which was just a joke. Like that. What, and, and first off, this game was the most watched of the weekend, too. That blows my mind, actually. Really? Yeah. I mean, probably because it was on Nickelodeon. Like, people were... People wanted to see what that was all about. That that's I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense, I guess, but I I'm telling you, the Bears just got hosed. Like there was a couple calls like that unsportsmanlike conduct where Kimmett threw the ball over top of uh Jenkins to the ref and then got fl- got flagged for it. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is going on, dude? Like that took them out of any that like that killed any momentum that they had. There was a couple pass interference calls that were just a joke. Like the Bears got hosed in this game. Uh, they definitely didn't play well enough to win, but they played better than losing by twelve points because the Saints did not look good in this game. Like if if the Bears had. Anyone but Matt Nagy as their head coach, I think that they win this game. Well, again, they got hosed by the refs a couple times, so maybe that played a bigger part than I'm even giving it credit for. But the the Bears have to move on from Nagy. They have to. And if they don't, they're going to lose Allen Robinson. Yeah, I don't know if they'll move on this year, but I think I would definitely put my money on that being the best odds to open up a new uh, head coach vacancy next year. For next year. Yeah, for, oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and then the last game of the weekend, probably the – well, I said that the Rams were the surprise of the weekend, and maybe this is an upset on the same level because the Browns didn't beat the Steelers. They mm-hmm. dismantled the Steelers. Mm-hmm. And the quote-unquote best defense in the league basically universally accepted that this year they were the best defense in the league. Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and uh, Jarvis Landry basically said, uh, no, no. Yeah. They dropped 48 on him. And really it was 42 because of the, uh, or 41, excuse me, because of the strip sack at the beginning of the game or a miss, miss snap, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. But still, I mean, they, they absolutely dominated the Steelers in every aspect of the game. Offense, special teams, uh, defense, coaching, uh clock management like literally didn't matter yeah I, and i think the absence of joe hayden devin bush and bud dupree not being in this game really really showed like what did? now granted at the same time this offense for the steelers like big ben's done i, I mean i'm calling it as it is right now the man's done if he's not done in his own mind the steelers need to make him know it's done it's so, over on their end, at least. Um, I think the Steelers have a lot, a lot of um, cleaning up to do in-house. I, re- I really do. And and that goes with Juju, Connor, Ben. Like, there's some big names there that everyone thought Claypool. was going to be there. Yeah, And, and Claypool, I think he's going to be a bright piece of their future. But I think they got to get his head under control. I think he's getting a little too cocky. With. These are the, I mean, the Steelers are the most annoying team in the league, and it's not even close. Juju with the stupid freaking TikToks, Claypool being the cockiest son of a bitch to ever live, and he's not even that good. That's what kills me. It's like he's not even that good. I would not put him in the top five of wide receivers under the age of 25. Like, he's just an, he's an okay number two, is what he is. 
He's he's not even the second best receiver on his team. Even I take Deontay Johnson over him. Deontay Johnson led oh, the yeah. league in drops. Dude, I, I I would take Deontay over Juju. So like it, it, it's just one of the things. I think Juju's done in Pittsburgh. I think they're moving on from him. They should. And I think I, they Juju should not get another job. Yeah, I, I definitely think they should move on from Connor. I think they should move on from Ben. I know financially it's going to be a tricky situation. So who knows how that plays out. But well, there is three pieces of that team offensively that do, does does not need to be there. Well, Juju's a free agent. Connor's a free agent. Ben accounts for forty-one million on the cap next year. Forty-one million. I think the Roonies need to sit him down and be like, "You need to retire and do City of Pittsburgh a favor." I mean, something's got to something's got to give, man. Because even in that game, you could see the the inaccuracy from Ben. Is something I've never seen out of this man till now. Like it, he it, was one of the most accurate quarterbacks to play. Like he yeah. has been for a while. And at some point, no matter how much you've done for a city, you you try to do your best for him. But there comes a time to where it's like, okay, man, all we can do is advise you what you need to do. Like it is what it is. Like I'm sorry, we can't we can't go any further. And that's yeah. I mean, that's definitely something. I, I I think this game falls on Juju though, as much as like anyone wants it. Like, you cannot give an NFL team that much bulletin board material and then expect anything other than the outcome you got. Like, you can't do it. Yeah. Like, you, they're the same old Browns. At the end of the day, the Browns is the Browns. Like, they're they're gonna be the Browns forever. You can't say that. Yeah. Like you can't. You cannot. And then. Claypool the day after getting just absolutely fisted by the Browns is on freaking Twitch going over a game like in the middle of his game talking about um like what happened he said yeah bad loss but the Browns is going to get clapped next week so it doesn't matter like what do you mean it doesn't matter you're basically telling your fan base well we lost but the team that beat us is going to lose next week so like we really don't care that much and, that, and that's what I'm saying. That's high school mentality. Team. Yeah, this is the most obnoxious team in the league. It's not even close. Like, they're just so annoying. And it's been that way for a long time. It has been that way since A.B. and Le'Veon. Like, they just are the kings of having the most obnoxious people on their roster. And it just it doesn't change. They, they went right from the killer bees, who were annoying as shit, to then they got the freaking... um. TikTok crew. Yeah, I think I think you're going to see this this defense stay intact, especially when they can get Bud back next year, get Devin Bush back. I think the defense is going to be definitely what drives this team from here on out, and I think you're going to see a younger uh, offense be be formed in Pittsburgh. I think I truly and honestly think, and I might be wrong because of the finances, but I think Big Ben's out. I think, I think he is. And I think, of course, Juju and Connor, they don't have the financial part that I think holds the Steelers back. But I think those two are out. I think you're going to see a reformation of this offense. Oh, absolutely. I agree for sure. But uh, no, as always, guys, we are presented by the Townsend Bar and Grill, your one-stop shop for great food at great prices. One of the great times there all the time. Uh, we had a blast up there this weekend. We went a couple days 
trivia was just amazing last week. We had a huge turnout there. National Championship game last night. We had a great turnout come up as well. Uh, make sure you guys are still supporting them, especially with rumors of another shutdown coming. Make sure you can get out and support them as best you can. Uh, until then, let them know that they have our full support uh, as always. But uh, GT, you got anything else to add, my brother? No, sir. Alrighty, guys, we appreciate you guys tuning in. The support means a lot. Uh, we got a whole week of content coming at you guys. Feels good to be back on our normal schedule after the holidays. Uh, we'll come back at you guys live on Friday. Uh, we'll get that up for you. So make sure you're tuning in to all the content. Everything now is on Apple Podcasts. So our Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play, all the, all the streaming platforms will be available. But uh, no, with that, guys, that'll wrap us up. And we will catch you next time. Peace. Peace. Niggas be thinking I'm deep, intelligent, fooled by my college degree. My IQ is average, there's a young lady out there, she way smarter than me. I scroll through her timeline in these wild times and I started to read. She mad at these crackers, she mad at these capitalists, mad at these murder police. She mad at my niggas, she mad at our ignorance, she wear her heart on the sleeve. She mad at the celebrities, low key I be thinking she talking about me. Now I ain't no dummy to think I'm above criticism, so when I see something that's valid I listen, but shit, it's something about the queen's tone that's bothering me. She strike me as somebody blessed enough to grow up in conscious environment with parents that know about the struggle for liberation. And in turn they provide her with a perspective and awareness of the system and a fairness that afflicts them and the clearest understanding of what we gotta do to get free and the frustration that feels the worst seems to come from the fact that most people don't see just cause you woke and I'm not that shit ain't no reason to talk like you better than me how you gonna leave when you attacking the very same niggas that really do need the shit that you saying instead of conveying you holier come help us get her to speed shit it's a reason until like 200 years for our answers is just to get free these shackles be locking the mental way more than the physical I look at freedom like trees can't grow up for us like overnight hit the ghetto and slowly start planting your seeds Fuck is the point of you preaching your message to those that already believe what you believe I'm also fucking retweet, most people are sheep You got all the answers but how you gonna reach If I can make one more suggestion respectfully I would say it's more effective to treat People like children, understanding the time and love and patience that's needed to grow This change is inevitable but ain't none of us seen this before Therefore we just gotta learn everything as we go I struggle with thoughts on a daily, feel like a slave That somehow to save, enough coins to buy his way up out of slavery Thinking just maybe, in my pursuit to make life so much better for me and my babies I done betrayed the very same people that look at me like I'm some kind of a hero Because of the zeros that's next to the comments but look here, I promise I'm not who you think Ran into this nigga outside of the store yesterday He said something that had me like, wait He was like, cold, appreciate what you been doing My nigga, that's real, but damn Why I feel faker than snow on the bluff Well, maybe cause deep down I know I ain't doing enough Some courage, but some courage to survive.